0: On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You know, that's like, you know, to be the second worst singer in the world, you know, that's not many that can claim that, but, you know, I can.
2: Hello, and welcome to another new episode of Live Through That. I'm your host, Mike Hippel, and on this podcast, we'll dig a little deeper into a pivotal moment into the lives of some of my favorite artists from the 80s and 90s. This week, I'm pleased to bring you Einar Orn, straight from Reykjavik, Iceland. He is sometimes called Iceland's first punk and started several punk groups before eventually forming the Sugar Cubes in 1986, with Einar sharing lead vocals with Bjork. Today, he tells me how he got turned on to punk music in the first place and how that kick started his musical journey.
1: So when I think about pivotal moments in my music life, um, I always go back to when I discovered a record by the pop group called Why? It's back in 1978. The lead up to that was basically that back in 1976, 77, I was literally the only one listening to punk music here in in Reykjavík, Iceland. Well, there were a few of us, but uh, not that many. Uh, I turned into punk when I got my father to buy for me a record in the UK. And he brought me back Peter Frampton, Staying Alive or or It's Alive or something like that. And a seven inch single with four tracks with the buscocks, Spiral Scratch. And I put one side of Peter Frampton's record on. And then I put Spiral Scratch on the seven inch and there was no turning back from me then. Uh, so I was listening to punk music, but being in Reykjavík uh, at that time, it was quite difficult to get to hear the music. So I usually went out in a sunbeam car, Vuxal sunbeam car, and tuned into John Peel and listened to him on BBC Radio 1. The sunbeam car was the only radio which could reach uh, BBC at the moment for some reason. So I was like just listening to John Peel and picked up from there like bands to listen to both the records in the UK and they came some weeks later and and that you know that's how I I was just listening to punk music. Back in 1978, um, friends of mine were in like a in a a record shop company and they were importing uh, records so i got the privilege of coming into their warehouse when they were unloading shipments and one day it was the strange looking record with the pop group and the band and the record called why and i thought i better try this out so i put this record on and it just blew my mind because I heard there for the first time that music could be anything and it opened up all kinds of areas for me to explore and and dwell into.
2: The band The Pop Group was definitely not a pop band per se and emerged around the same time as the punk scene in London was exploding. While they weren't really pop, they weren't really punk either. They were post-punk before that was even a term and quietly influenced a new generation of bands. Singer Mark Stewart passed away in 2023.
1: I always go back to this record when I'm, I'm sort of dismayed over state of music because it's still this many decades later still refreshing and brilliant. And yeah, that record just made my day or has made my life because from there on, even though I couldn't sing, I formed a band and even though I still can't sing, I'm still making music. And just Mark Stewart's rest in peace voice was just brilliant. And just the total oral soundscape on that record was just amazing. And I still wear the t-shirt, T-shirts, which are like quite funny because they've got like political message, like we are all prostitutes with Margaret Thatcher on, on the front. And, and yeah, just if to name anything one, then this is the record for me. I was fortunate enough some years ago they played here in Reykjavik, the pop group, and I met them. I went there with my partner and Kerber and my son and afterwards they just said that I, I had been like totally mesmerized and was like a little kid seeing seeing something totally out of this world. And I got to meet Mark and and the others and it was like for me, uh, just brilliant to see them And, and still just by seeing them play live here in Iceland, it all just made sense. They're just geniuses. There are other, of course, pivotal moments in like in the music, it's like now, when I'm trying to re- remember this, um, because back in the day, I had to go by what the music press was writing. And so I, I, I always bought the music press like two weeks later when, they, when it turned up here in, in Iceland. And so I tried to stay like abreast of what was going on. And, and I still remember when I put Feeding of the 5,000 by Crass, and that was like a, another mind-blowing experience to hear Do The us A Living, and all of the songs on that record, the anarcho-punk attitude, direct political messages, and again there was no turning back for, for me um, to hear that record, and, and I got to know Crass and they just, like, you know, yeah, again, made my day.
2: With all these musical influences in hand, it was time for Einar to start creating his own music. And in 1981, he did just that.
1: When I was at college with Brian, um we had this idea to form a band to, there was a college night, like, of, of, of music. And we decided to, to form a band. Um, and Friki who's also an old schoolmate. We've known each other since we were 12. This is back in 1981. And we were at college and 18 18 years old. And we decided to form a band and we got another friend in who was a bass player, but he knew how to play the drums and we formed the band. I was was just going to uh, do noise and effects. And because Braje played bass, Frikki guitar, and Ausger played drums. And so we set all all the gear up, and then Ausger had a microphone, and he put the microphone into a guitar and handed the microphone to me and said, and he just said, sing. And so I had to sing because I had the microphone. And so I, I got a bit of stick for being the shouty guy, um, but that, today it's more of a performance for me. And then back in the day, it was also a performance. It was, you know, I, I started to write lyrics and the lyrics, and that's also a pivotal moment in my life when Auskir handed me the microphone and said sing, uh, because I had to use my voice. They were using their instruments. And so I started to use my given instrument, which is my voice. And, and I learned something about myself that I could li- write lyrics about myself. And so my lyrics were about my myself and my experience. And from that, that band was called Purkur Pilnik. And we just, you know, took our life by storm. We released two LPs, one t- 10 tracks, uh, seven inch, one four track, seven inch. And so we just, you know, went ahead and in 18 months of our existence, we played two gigs every every week, and so we were just really busy with like a rocket up our bum trying to, you know, make, make sense of things, and, and we had fun.
2: The band toured Iceland and the UK with The Fall in 1982. They pretty much stopped after that, and they evolved into a series of other bands before gelling into the Sugar Cubes around 1986. They went on to release the single Birthday, which became a worldwide hit and released three albums before disbanding in 1992. I always thought of Einar as kind of like the Fred Schneider voice in the B-52s. Others weren't always as kind.
1: Yeah, I'm aware that, that my singing capabilities have annoyed a, a lot of people. And um, I don't care. I really don't care. And, and the comparison with Fred wow, that's, that is something you like to be proud of. But I also got voted the second worst singer in the world uh, after Ossie Osborne. He was number one. And that, you know, that's like, you know, to be the second worst singer in the world, you know, that's not many that can claim that. But, you know, I can.
2: In 2010, Einer was elected to the Reykjavik City Council. I wanted to know more about that.
1: I did do a four-year political stunt here in, in Reykjavík with the best party uh, back in 2010. Um, then Jón Nar called me and said, you know, do you want to run for for the city of Reykjavík um, with him? And I said, yes, if I can be the Minister of Foreign Affairs. and." He said, well, um, that's not the office we're running for. And I said, well, that's the office I'm going for then. So it's like uh, we went into this with the best party, not knowing anything, but like, you know, just trying to make sense of everything. And, And I think we did manage to test sort of what public perception of politics should be to make it more humane. and admit that we didn't know things when we didn't know things instead of saying I will look into it we said I just don't know uh, but I'll find out and so it was like a four years uh, and I think it, it's good and healthy for everyone to go into politics and stop because it's a it's a valuable lesson but I'm glad that I only got four years and like I say I got four years what was the crime I done um it was a bit of pressure but you know it was I don't want to use the fun it was interesting I don't think I would run for a public office ever again uh, I think you know I've done my stint, and and others can have have their go at it because politics to today is people's if you go into politics it's like you know like a subscription thing that people think that they should be there forever and ever and ever and so I don't think that that, that is the right model for any, anything. I was, I was once traveling in the Faroe Islands and a Danish politician said, you know, what would your ideal state be? I said, well, everybody was equal and everybody got what they wanted and got what they needed and he said, "That's a bit utopian of you, well, that's what I want and so I don't think that's anything wrong to have a utopia to sort of work for or aim for, but that's basically still my my motto is that everybody should get what they want. It's just a pity that the world is the way it is in you know we're looking at not climate crisis, but you know just um, the total Annihilation of, of the world. And if, if I was quite honest in my, all, all my doings, I would just step back and let younger people you know, take care because we have truly fucked it up. And so how can we truly mend it when we fucked it up? We're just too selfish uh, to admit a disaster, which we can't fix. It's somebody else who needs to fix it.
2: Einar has moved on to making art. He got a master's in fine arts degree back in 2018 and has exhibited his work worldwide.
1: After I moved away from politics, uh, I put my attention to drawing and visual arts. And I did a degree, master's degree in visual arts. And uh, I've been practicing my art in that sense, uh, visual art ever since and i combine it sometimes with oral soundscapes and space and so i'm I'm, I'm sort of i've always done it you know I, i find drawings since i was 22 years old but i didn't realize that that might be my venue so i've entered the venue of visual arts and i quite enjoy being there
2: I was curious about what inspired him to take the leak to go back to school.
1: I wanted to unplug and I wanted to give myself some attention and just to to realize what I, I was about. So my, my research question was always from the beginning. Why do I do what I do? And so I sort of backtracked my origins. And if I... If I say that I started in punk with punk back in 1976, 77 I backtracked the history of punk into situationism into letterism uh, into surrealism into data and I ended as as a dataist and my fellow students they called me always a modernist I'm basically old school I'm the chap who doesn't use fax machines, I just make art, try to make up a new language. Yeah, at, at university I was one of the oldest students there, but uh, I don't think it's in many ways any relevant because like I was, I was even though my experience, time-wise was longer, uh, I I had like actual reference points and things which happened in the past, like, the minor strike in the UK in 1984, when I toured with Cook and Flocks of Pink Indians, and so I was—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm the probably the last generation who could experience the avant-gardists of the 20th century uh, before fax came in, and now we've got the internet. So, and now everybody just uses the computer to get their experience, but our experience like was actually a physical connection with the past.
2: These days, Einar is still creating music with Ghost Digital, and he's recently released some of his band's earlier punk records. He's also still creating art and has some exhibitions lined up in both the US and in Iceland. I've included a link to his website in the show notes where you can find out dates and such. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much to Einer for meeting with me and talking about some of this stuff. It truly was an honor. And a quick reminder that you can buy my book on 80s musicians and where they are today, 80s Redux, and its sequel, Live Through That, on 90s Artist, wherever you buy your books. And if you like this show, please leave a review where you're listening. It always helps others find us. And of course, subscribe so you'll know when the latest episode comes out. You can also follow me on threads at Mike Hipple, M-I-K-E-H-I-P as in Peter, P as in Peter, L-E, and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks for listening.
0: What'd do you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. What's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Were they shop? Were they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> my mom and dead. My mom and my dad. From airship